What I want to talk to you today about is prayer. Let me sort of take you back over this Omer season, because this has been an Omer season for us like no other Omer season. Everything has been different, but the pattern that we've been talking about is designed to lead us somewhere. What we're doing is we're going through this time and these messages is everything is designed to go toward a goal. We started at Passover and what we talked about there was Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Remember where we talked about God's appointed times and the fact that God's appointed times are eternal and it's not negotiable. Shabbat is not negotiable. Passover is not negotiable. Everything that he has set up has been that way since creation. Then we talked about counting the Omer and that's the process where you move from slavery in Egypt to freedom at the foot of the mountain. It's a process where you go from eating animal food, barley, to eating people food, wheat. So there's a process that we're going through and the sequence of messages that we've gone through is designed to move us through that process. Then we talked about hardness of heart and what hardness of heart does for you or to you is it prevents you from recognizing God's hand in the world. Do you remember the disciples in the boat where Yeshua had just fed 5,000 people and they're worried about what they're going to have for lunch. And Yeshua looks at them and says, you guys don't understand, you got hard hearts. So they don't see the hand of God and of course the United States and us and everybody else can be poster children for hard hearts. We sometimes go through life without recognizing the hand of God. And by the way, the fact that the disciples had hard hearts is not to say that the disciples were evil, wicked, or terrible sinners. We all go in and out of that. Then we talked about biblical patterns, the pattern of three, pattern of seven, and the idea that God has set his scriptures up according to patterns. And as you understand that pattern, what you can do is figure out where you are in a particular pattern. And right now we're in the pattern of 50, the time of Omer. And then last week we talked about repentance, God willing, if I finish today, we'll talk about prayer, and that will lead us next week to talk about the Holy Spirit, because we're obviously getting ready for the receipt of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, so next Shabbat, what we'll do is we'll talk about the Holy Spirit, how He works, who He is, what He does, how He relates to us, and that'll be the subject for next week. So prayer, and those of you who have been here for a long time have heard variations on this for years. One of the things that many people in both the Saturday and Sunday church say is God is complete and he doesn't need anything and we can't give him anything. I will suggest that's not correct, at least not the way it's said. God certainly is self-sufficient and he doesn't need us to exist or do any of the things that he does. But if God didn't need us, need in quotes there, he wouldn't have made us. So, for example, when I go out in my workshop and I build a table, it's because I need or want a table. And if I were in the job of building tables commercially, which I'm not, it would be because I need to make a table to sell to support my family. In other words, I don't do things if I don't need to do it. So in that sense, God needs us. And so the question becomes, what does he need us for? So the first thing 
is, and again, you've all heard this term, it's called zimzum, which is retraction. And what that means is that before he created us, there was nothing but God. So in order to make space for us, he had to back out. He had to back away. And by the way, the human equivalent of that is a woman's womb. That's the part of a woman that is part of her body, but it's not there for her. It's there to provide a space where somebody else can live, which is why abortion is such a terrible thing. So what God has done is he's created this universe, if you will, which in a sense is like a womb, a woman's womb. It's a space that is not him. And one of the things that we do for God is we provide new information. And one sort of Bible teacher, who I like very much, I mean, a lot of stuff I learned from the guy, I'm not casting stones at him, but one of the things he says is God can't learn anything. I don't think that's true. He's outside of time, so he knows the end from the beginning. But one of the reasons he's created us is we provide for him new information. So, for example, if you go out and you write a symphony, that never existed before. That's something new. And it delights the people who hear it if you're any good. And I'm suggesting to you it delights God. Johann Sebastian Bach. You know, everybody knows of, even if you don't like his music, wrote very, very elaborate and complicated Baroque pieces. The guy was a church organist, and he would write a new composition every Sunday. Yeah, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them, okay? And the best description of Bach that I have ever heard is somebody said, Bach is talking to his God in mathematics. Bach was communicating with his God in mathematics. He was presenting an offering to God. This is something I have made for your glory. That's what we can do. And if you're building sculptures, or you're building buildings, or you're building a family, or you're building anything, what you're doing is you're building something to God's glory, and you're giving him something that didn't exist before. That's why God, quote, needs us Unquote. And obviously, all the caveats about needing. I mean, he doesn't depend on us. But he needs us because he wants us. He needs somebody to be in relationship with. One of the things that we can give God that he can't make for himself is love and respect. Unless we exist, God says, all right, I'm going to create some respect. But there's nobody around. So who's this respecting me? That's what we can give him. We can give our love and respect. So we are something that is not God. And that's important to him. So God is, in a sense, our parent. He calls himself the father in scripture. And one of the things that a father does is he is involved with his children to the extent that is appropriate at their particular stage of development. For those of you who have been parents, you got a newborn baby. Your involvement with that baby is almost constant. That's why they have two parents, so one of you can sleep. Child needs to be changed, needs to be moved, needs to be turned over, needs to be fed. All those kinds of things, so your involvement with your child is almost constant. Then as the child starts to grow, 
What you do as a parent, if you're any good, is you start to back off and your relationship changes. In fact, one of the phenomena we have today, which is pathological, is called helicopter parenting, where you got these parents hovering over their children, and boy, anything goes wrong, they come in in a helicopter and they solve all the problems. Well, that's terrible because it doesn't let the child grow and develop and develop his own feet because his parents always there. So as we grow, a baby needs constant attention. By the time you're a teenager, you need space to become somebody new. And then when you become an adult, what you need is a spouse. And so your relationship with God changes as you move through your life and God's relationship to humanity changes as we humans change. So if you read the early Bible, what you see is God will just sort of show up all sorts of places or the angel of the Lord will sort of show up. I'm suggesting that's sort of toddler relationship. Then you have the period where Yeshua is here. And Yeshua is now dealing with us in a different way. He's teaching us. Now we have the Holy Spirit. And God in each of these stages has backed off, not because he doesn't love us, but because we need space to become what he wants us to be. And so one of the things about the distance that God is separated, separated is not the right word, what I would call is distancing. I'm still here. I'm still watching over you. I'm still watching over Israel. But let's see how you solve that particular problem. It is not going to be the case anymore that I'm going to show up as the angel of the Lord and kick down the walls for you. You've got to figure that out now. And this is benign, normal, and good. So the fact that God is somewhat, again, remote is not the right, remote, distant, all those are negative concepts in our language, and I'm not speaking negatively. I'm speaking in, this is a loving parent who needs to give his children, us, space to become what he wants us to be, both as individuals and as a species. And that's taken thousands of years. We're made in the image of God. And one of the things we need to do as members of the image of God, if you will, is we need to create because God is a creator and we're made in his image. So and going back to my example of Bach or an architect or someone who's making a home, what we need to do is we need to create stuff because we are like God in that sense. We're not gods, but we're in his image, so we need to do that. And if he doesn't give us space, we don't have any room to do that. And then one other thing that God has done is he's made a policy. And you've all heard this before. If he had a different policy, there's not a thing we could do about it. Okay. But his policy is that he acts in the world through us. In order to have things happen in the world, what God needs is a prophet or a priest or a person or somebody to make it happen, either physically with our hands or through our voice. And again, don't get me wrong, if he had a different policy, there is nothing we could do about it. He's the one that set that policy up. And that's part of this giving us space to develop. So that's all by way of setup. So now let's talk about prayer. First off, prayer is a skill, and it can be taught. Remember in Luke 11:1, 1, 
where the disciples come to Yeshua and say, Lord, teach us to pray. It's something that can be taught. It's something that can be learned. So how do you do that? Well, the way you do that is through scriptural examples. So he's given us this book. And we have examples in that book starting 6,000 years ago where people have interacted with God using their voices in their hands and you can see where wow that was pretty good I like that from God's point of view or uh, sorry fire and brimstone time so you have these examples in scripture therefore your benefit you're supposed to read those and from those you're supposed to learn how God wants you to relate to him and how God wants you to relate to the world. For example, Nadab and Avihu. Remember when the tabernacle first gets kicked off and Moses lights the fires and kicks the tires and off we go. And you've got Nadab and Avihu are sons of Aaron and they are just excited and caught up in the moment and perhaps a bit tipsy, we don't know. And so they decide, I'm going to express my love for God, and they grab strange fire, and they go rushing in there to be in the presence of God and offer up, and zap, crispy critters. What God is telling you is, yes, I want to relate to you, but there's a way to do that in a way that's pleasing to me and in a way that's safe for you. So all of those stories in Scripture are by way of educating us how to relate to God in prayer and action. That's what they're for. And of course we have the Psalms which we read today. All of the Psalms we read today are about prayer and David's relationship to God in prayer. The New Testament vignette that we read, and by the way, this is one of those differences between King Jimmy and other translations because if you have a King James translation that says this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting the version that James read doesn't include fasting and that's a difference in the Greek text King Jimmy comes from the Texas Receptus and the version that he read and you have NIV doesn't have that that difference goes back 2000 years that's not some nefarious thing a translator did and that's fine most of your Bibles, by the way, will have a note that says in other translation it adds and fasting here. But anyway, the point is, Yeshua sort of looks up and rolls his eyes. Alright, how long am I going to have to do this for you guys? And then rebukes the Spirit and tells it to come out. What that tells me is, first off, obviously prayer is effective, especially when you're Yeshua. You know, Yeshua doesn't have a problem with prayer because he knows what to do we have a problem sometimes but the other thing that it tells me is he expects us to be able to do what he just did in other words there's no reason to roll your eyes and say how long is it going to take before you guys get it if it's not possible for us to get it did I say that so it made sense to you because it's important because you see Yeshua doing stuff in the New Testament and you sort of think, well, that's Yeshua. He's way more powerful, way better than I am, but that's not what the Scripture says. What the Scripture says is the works that I do, you will do, and more, and greater. 
which is to say that the power that Yeshua is exercising is available to us and he expects us to use it. And if it's not happening, that the problem is not with the Holy Spirit, the problem is not with God, the problem is with you or the one you're praying for. Don't get me wrong, we all have imperfect connections. As I am very, very fond of saying, if you got somebody sick, you lay hands on them, you pray for healing, and if he drops dead, you step over the corpse and go on to the next one. Because what you're doing is you're doing what God said to do, and if it doesn't work as you hope it will, fine, it didn't work. That doesn't mean you quit following the directions. I'm saying it kind of flip, but they're very serious. One of the things that lots of church leaders have a problem with is they pull their punches in their prayers. Oh God, if it be your will, please heal this poor wretch. Well, he's just pulled his punches. Because he's saying, if this poor wretch isn't healed, then God didn't want him healed. Well, duh, that's true. But what he's done is he has abrogated his own responsibility. His responsibility is to lay hands and say, you be healed in the name of Yeshua. Do it. Be healed. Now. It's not a suggestion, that's a command. And what happens if the guy drops dead in front of me? Well, I'm going to look like an absolute fool before the congregation. And so what I do is I pull my punches. And what I've done is I've made my prayer ineffective. Now my prayer may still be ineffective, this guy may still drop dead, but the results are not my problem, the results are God's problem. Probably a bad choice of words too. My job is to do what God says to do and expect the results he says we'll get. And if I don't get those results, what I do is I go back into my prayer closet and I say, all right, am I the problem here? Am I not doing something that you want me to do? Am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something without the proper amount of faith? All those kinds of things. But what I don't ever do is pull my punches. And I'm telling you to do the same thing. Risk looking like an idiot. Risk standing there with somebody dead at your feet, with oil over your hands, looking like a schmuck. Because if you don't risk that, you'll never see the power and the results. You've got to follow the directions and then leave the results up to God, because He's the one that ultimately decides. So prayer. Two kinds of prayers. Functional prayers and relational prayers. Functional prayers is when you want something to happen. The Word of God is seed. What a seed is is information. The Word of God is seed. And seed then comes down and it needs to hit fertile soil. And it's a parable of the sower. Okay, there's nothing wrong with a seed. Got to hit fertile soil and then it's got to be tended and defended in order to, to do a crop. But a seed is just information. So when you're praying one of the things that you might want to do is to get seed. In other words, God, I need a word here. I need some information in this so that I can speak that seed out into somebody's heart or my own heart and we can start getting things to happen. So I'm looking for seed. The other thing you may be doing is creating seeds of your own. Remember I started this off by saying one of the things that we can do is provide God with new information. We're creators just like He is. Well, obviously not just like He is, but we're in His image, so we're creators as He is. 
So when we speak things into existence, we are speaking seed. We are creating seed in the same way that the Word of God creates seed. And again, that seed needs to fall into fertile soil. That seed needs to be tended and defended in order to bring forth a crop. And by the way, you can make bad seed and good seed. If your mouth speaks curses, you're making bad seeds. If you're speaking blessings and you're speaking things that are according to the will of God, you're creating good seed. One of the, the ways to be functional in your prayers is either to get or to create seed. And the other thing that you want to do in your prayers is you want to shape the world. Again, we are in the image of God. It is not an accident that there is sin and evil and incompleteness in this world. It's not an accident that there are weeds that grow in your garden. Your job is to shape the world. And one of the ways you do that is through prayer, and the other way you do that is through your hands. Again, remember Moses. So they're standing at the bank of the Red Sea. And Moses lifts up his voice in prayer. What does God say? Shut up and walk. Time for praying is not right now. What I want you to do is start walking. So our actions, if you will, the things that we can do with our bodies are part of shaping the world, whether that's building something or writing a sonata or painting a picture or any of those kinds of things. What we're doing is we're shaping and changing the world. And again, we can do that for good or for ill. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that demons want access to you. They want access to you because you've got hands and you've got a voice which means that you have dominion over the earth. So what a demon will try and do is come along and try and get you to use your hands and your voice to nefarious purposes instead of for the purposes of God. That's what they're interested in. God's interested in the same thing. He wants you to use your voice and your hands to enhance his creation, to repair his creation, to build things that delight him. That's functional prayer. But what you're after is seed, direction, preparatory to action, a plan of action, all those kinds of things. You want something to happen, you want to do something, you want to make something happen. That's a functional prayer. The other kind is a relational prayer. And there, you got no agenda except that you want to be close to God. You want to have a relationship with Him. You want to talk to Him. You want to give Him praise. You want to express your thanks. You want to express your love. You want to express all of the wonderful things that He's done for you. That's relational. And that's obviously really important. Because the better your relationship is, the better your functional prayers will become. So don't neglect either one. I personally tend to lean toward the functional side. I'm an engineer and I all right, this is what we want to get done, so 25 words or less, here's my prayer, let's get going. That's my personality. Other people are effusive and emotional and pray these wonderful relational prayers and I can sort of do that but not nearly to the extent that some of you all can because you're better at that part of it than I am. And that's why each of us is different. Because each of us brings a different personality to the relationship. Final thing, there's three audiences for every prayer. The first audience, of course, is God. That's the whole purpose of a prayer, 
is you are making a connection with God through the Holy Spirit. The second audience there is you. Because often you will pray in order to get yourself in the right frame of mind to do what needs to be done. In other words, you need to talk to yourself. So you're talking to God, but you're also talking to you. Because you need to hear what you're saying. And you need to say it out loud, by the way. And then the final audience is other people. And it may be functional. You be healed. Or it may be relational. How great is God? You know, that's what hymns are and those kinds of things. They're prayers that the audience is everybody here. That's why we do praise and worship is because we are lifting God up and everybody gets to hear it and everybody gets to build up. So as you're saying your prayers, think about those three audiences. Sometimes it's just you and God, you know, when you're all by yourself. Sometimes it's in a setting like this where you're praying out loud so everybody can hear. And what that becomes is we then can become amplifiers or we can be edified or blessed by your prayer. Sometimes we're amplifiers. So when we pray corporately for somebody's healing, and we get a prayer request, and for example, Bob. Bob just came through surgery. Came through it very well, by the way. I saw him the other day, and he's doing great. Lost some weight, so he needs to get eating, but he's doing great. So the point of praying together as a corporation about Bob is so that we can amplify each other's prayers. And when I'm saying, God, please heal Bob, my faith may waver back and forth, but there'll be somebody out here that will pong, and it'll happen. Am I saying that so it makes sense? That's why we do corporate prayer. So, understand that when you're praying, you always pray with a purpose. You got something that you want to have happen, and that something may just be a relationship with God. I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why you're doing it. Prayer is a skill that can be learned. And prayers that are precise according to Scripture are effective. Prayers that are not precise according to Scripture probably won't be. So that's why you study Scripture, to figure out what it is God has set up, how he wants things to work, and then you get lined up with his purposes, and then your prayers become powerful. And that's something you can learn. So, go out and raise your voices.